today to study your word to Lord I, I love the uh, opportunity we have to just kind of peek into people's lives and peek into the first century church see what was going on and what was happening and I pray that as we just continue especially as we look at the conversion of, of this guy named Saul who later uh, becomes Paul the apostle Lord I, I pray that Lord it would speak to our hearts Lord, maybe some of us here today think we're unsavable or God doesn't want us and, and we can see from this story that no one is too far. Or maybe some of us think uh, maybe we've given up on people and we need to realize we should never do that. So I just pray again that this would be a time where we can learn and we can grow, we can be encouraged, we can be strengthened, we can be healed through your word and then God we can go out and do the ministry that you've put in front of us. So again, just bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so, so far, listen, so far we see Philip and, and Stephen have kind of set the stage now for worldwide evangelism. And, and I kind of like that as we've been taking steps and seeing what's going on. And, and now, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I start reading the book of Acts, I get excited, and then I get exciteder, and then I get exciteder, and then, and then I go and I think, this is so good. And I don't think there's anything more encouraging than seeing people get saved. That's got to be the greatest thing in the world, watching people come to the Lord. And now we get to watch, listen, we get to watch maybe arguably one of the, one of the greatest conversions ever, ever. And we get, to get, we get to glimpse into that and see what's going on and how exciting. Listen, we all have a testimony. And we all can share what Jesus has done in our lives with others. And, and, and listen, I think that's an encouragement and a great way, quote, to witness to others is telling them about how great Jesus is. So now we look at this guy named Saul. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, saying, or I'm sorry, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So again, we get back to this guy, Saul. We've seen him twice so far, right? Remember the first time they're putting their, their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul as they're stoning Stephen. Then the next time we see him, he's giving uh, uh, approval to the death of Stephen. And it says he's wreaking havoc with the church. In other words, he's tearing up the church. Again, I, the emphasis in that Greek word there is he's just like ripping the church apart. And I don't think he slowed down. Listen, I don't, I don't think he, like he, he's taking a breather. This guy is on a mission. And his mission is to destroy the church. Now, listen, that, that's a bad thing, but we've got to understand where he was coming from. He thought he was serving God. Hey, for homework, read Philippians. I was going to read it, but just for homework, read Philippians 1 through 11. You get the idea, and that gives us his whole heritage. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And, you know, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And according to the law, he was blameless, etc., etc. He gives us all that background. I want to tell you the whole thing, so you go there and read it. But it kind of gives us the idea who this guy is. He, listen, in his mind, he loved the Lord and he's serving God, and in his mind, the worst thing in the world is the church. They're coming against everything that he held dear, everything that he was hanging on to. 
And so it says, listen, he's still breathing out. Did you, did you pick up on that? He's breathing threats and murder. Now some of your translation might say murderous threats. And listen, I, I, think, I think Paul was killing people. Why do I think this? Philippians, Galatians, you know, these are things you can read about, about his conversion or pre-conversion. Philippians, Galatians, you can read in Timothy. You can read in Acts. I'll, I'll put it up in a minute. Acts 22, Acts 26. Listen, there's a lot. This guy, this guy wanted to stomp out Christianity and he was going to stop at nothing to do it. He would even go as far, according to his own testimony, of killing people who believed in Jesus. Now, that's kind of, a, that's kind of an extreme guy, right? And so listen what's going on, man. There's something, there's something within him that keeps driving him. And now, here's the crazy thing. Now, he goes to the high priest and asks him to write letters so he can go all the way to Damascus to the synagogues and stomp out the Christians there. Now, you've got to understand something. He's a Pharisee. Hmm. Pharisees and high priest did not get along. Remember, they're at opposite ends of the theological spectrum. One of them is very conservative, very legalistic, following every jot and tittle. The other is kind of liberal, anything kind of goes, and it's okay. They're the ones in charge, and yet here Paul, this Pharisee, goes to this liberal leader and says, hey, I need some letters because that's how bad, that's how desperate he was. I need letters. I want to go up to Damascus. I want to see if there's any there. Did you pick up what the Christians were called in the beginning? Listen, when the church started, Christians weren't called Christians. They were people of the way. I kind of like that, don't you? That sounds kind of cool. They're people, listen, that, that implies to me we're on a journey. They're, they're of the way. They're going someplace, right? They're not, listen, Christianity, man, I hope you know this, Christianity is not just fire insurance, right? Christianity is not just the alternative to hell, and I'm going to take it because I don't like hell. So No, it's, it's a process in our lives, and we're on a journey. We're on the way, right? So it's kind of cool that they were calling him that. We're, we're on the way, and, and I like that. And so he's looking for people on the way. He goes to Damascus, which is about 140 miles, maybe about a week's journey. So kind of keep that in mind. He gets the letters from the guy. Oh, and then one more thing I want to bring our attention to. It says that he is going to go, if he found any who were of the way, whether they were men or women. Man. This would be the one guy as a believer you would not want to meet. Right? This is the guy, this is the guy that everybody in the church is saying, Psh, can't pray for that guy. He's beyond salvation. He is way crossed the line. He crossed the line a long time ago. Do you feel that way about some people? I think if we're honest, some of us do. We think people are not redeemable. It'll never work in their lives. And, and we kind of look at them that way. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm sure the church felt that way about this guy at this time. He's doing everything in his power to destroy them. Now listen... He was of the tribe of Benjamin, and Genesis 49 says this. You remember when Jacob was blessing his sons? And remember, Jacob had two favorites, right? He had Joey, and then he had, he had Benjamin. Listen, Benjamin, here's what he said when he prayed over Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf 
In the morning, he devours the prey, and in the evening, he divides the plunder. Well, this guy's kind of living that out, isn't he? He's kind of like Benjamin on steroids. So now he's going, he's after the church, and so we get this, so kind of picture this. Listen, he's taken off and he's going on his journey and he's taken, he's left Jerusalem, he's gone up, he's probably, you know, he's gone through Galilee and that whole area, going up that road up north. Those who have been to Israel with us, I, I love when we get ready to go up to the Golan to read this section because we're going in that direction, man. We're going in the direction that Saul was going and you're heading on up and he's going out, out of Jerusalem, or out of, listen, out of Israel into foreign territory. He's going to Syria to get these guys. You think, why, why is he going to Syria? Because there were a whole bunch of Jews in Syria. And I think Paul felt, or Saul felt it was his position, I got to go protect those guys. Because I heard some of the way are up there, and we got to go take care of them. As a matter of fact, Josephus says several years after this, like a, probably a century after this, there were 10,000 Jews who were killed in, in Damascus. And that's a lot of Jews. So he's heading up there. He's on his way to Damascus. He's kind of come up out. Maybe he's even come up out of Tiberias, right? Some of us have that picture in our mind. He's come up out of Tiberias and he's taken off and he's, he's getting closer. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. And he's almost there. Imagine the anticipation in his heart and those with him. What do you think they were talking about on the way? Oh, by the way, the soldiers were from the, from the high priest. So they probably were kind of liberal guys, but... He didn't really care because they're going to help him get Christians, right? And they're probably talking about how they're going to grab him, how they're going to bring him back, how they're going to march him all the way back, all through Israel, all the way back to Jerusalem. Then verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wow, here it comes, man. Boom. He's going along. Everything's good. And then all of a sudden, this light comes. This is, I know, it's like right there. So, it's, you know what? I have to tell you guys, this reminds me to go back to that. But I gotta, this only happens when Matthew's doing sound. Just thought I'd let you know. So, anyway, back to this. So listen, this light comes out of nowhere. He's cruising along, and this light, he falls to the ground. I always like to say God knocked him off his horse. I don't know if he was on a horse. You know, I kind of, well, he knocked him off his high horse. We know that. But listen, I don't know if he was on a horse. I don't know, maybe he was on a donkey. Maybe he was just walking. But here's what I know. One moment he's upright, the next moment he's down. And then he hears this voice. One thing a Pharisee would have known is this. That voice is from God. They would have been sure of that. They would have, they would have banked on that just because of who they are. And he hears this voice, listen, and this voice is saying, Saul, Saul. I like the, the repetition, right? Because when God wants to get our attention, he says our name twice. Go through scripture and check it out. He says, Saul, Saul, especially for those of us that are hard of hearing. Why are you persecuting me? Now listen, can you imagine, can you imagine you're going along and all of a sudden that's what you hear? You gotta try and process that. That's a lot. Listen, you're going to you're going to get Christians, maybe kill a few on the way. You know, you know, I don't know. But at least arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, that's what you hear. 
Even if you imagined you heard it, you know, it kind of kills me as you read some commentaries. They go, you know, he was in the Middle East and it's kind of hot and the sun was probably heavy on him. It's sort of the middle of the day and he probably just had like a heat stroke. This is not a heat stroke. And then others say he had an epileptic fit. I'm going like, once? So, you know, it's funny what people will do to dodge the reality of what's going on. God is getting his attention. So God calls out to him and asks him, hey, why are you persecuting me? I, I kind of, I think, man, I don't know about you, but that would be a little bit frightening. So verse 5, he said, who are you, Lord? Something to take note of is he does say, Lord. Listen, he recognizes this is God. Again, some commentators try to say, no, he's just saying, who are you, sir? Ain't no way. No, he knew. He knew what was going on. He knew that that voice at least was from heaven. He's, he's like bound down. And I, I, I kind of like the idea. Who are you? Then, then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Whoa. Whoa. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what is going on in this guy's head at that moment? He knows, listen, he knows it's real whether liberal scholars think it's real or not. He knows it's real. He knows what's happening. He knows what's coming his way. And now this voice says, I'm Jesus. Wait a minute. You can't be Jesus. You're dead. I remember watching you die, maybe. Hmm. You know, it's speculation, but it's very likely that Saul had encounters, or at least had heard Jesus. He was around when Jesus would come to Jerusalem. I don't know if that's true or not. He definitely heard Stephen's testimony, and this stuff is eating inside of him. I I believe, listen, it's been churning and churning and churning and churning, and maybe that's what drove him to be so angry and so mad. And now, listen, now here's this voice saying, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Wow. Wow. That'd be a lot to process. That'd be a lot to try and take in. Man, that'd be a lot to deal with. Now, some of your translations skip a little bit. I'll read it the way some of the translations do. He says, in the middle of verse 5, Then he said, Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then you've got to drop all the way down to the end of verse 6. Arise and go down and go into the city, and I will show you what you must do. And they say, what's in between there? Most scholars say, what's in between there? Some scribe put in, and it doesn't really belong there. I believe it belongs there. I believe it belongs there for this reason. You can read ahead, not while I'm teaching, but later on for homework, you can read Acts 22 and Acts 26. When Saul, or the Apostle Paul, recounts this event, he recounts it two other times in the book of Acts. Acts 22, Acts 26. And in Acts 22, he Let's us in on one of these statements. In Acts 26, he lets us in on another one. So I, I think they belong there. And I don't think some scribe went, wow, man, i got to help Luke out because he kind of blew it here. He forgot to put this in, etc. So I want to read it because I think it's pertinent to his conversion experience. So who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he says this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now listen, I I think our generation and where we live and what we do, we don't really understand that. Not many of us are farmers and not many of us who maybe even are farmers farm with oxen to plow with. We use John Deere. 
So listen, in, in that generation, though, when they would plow with an ox and they would put the yoke on him, and then some of the oxen were kind of, you know, listen, they, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't behave like John Deere. So they would have to kind of get them in line. So they would have these sharp sticks that sometimes they might poke them with, but mostly they would put towards their ankles. So if they got out of hand and they started kicking, they would kick that sharp thing and they would say in their mind, right, that's not cool, that hurts. And they would quit kicking against the goad. That was the thing to keep them in line. Sort of like today when you're shopping in a, in a, in a, in a store and people hit you in the ankle with the basket. Kind of slows you down, gets you in line. We were shopping the other day, and I watched some lady give her kid the basket. I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. So I thought, I'll watch. And sure enough, within, within less than three minutes, bam, right into her ankles. And she gets mad and yells at him. I wanted to go over and say, you gave him the basket. <laughs> right? But listen, listen, it's, it's kicking against that, and it's that painful thing. So, so here's what Jesus is telling Saul. Why do you keep kicking against the goads? Why did Jesus say that to him? I think because from the moment either he heard Jesus or especially, let's just go to this one, from the moment he heard Stephen, there's something inside of him and he's pushing it away. He's trying to, he's trying to suppress it. He's trying to get rid of it. He's even acting out, I believe, in anger towards the church to get rid of it. And, and Jesus is saying, man, come on. I've been drawing you and drawing you and drawing you. You keep kicking against it. Why are you doing that? I love that. Listen, I love that the Lord is reaching out to him that way, letting him know, come on, man, you need to give up, right? And then listen, the first part of verse 6, so trembling and astonished, Saul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You see, I believe he was converted when he fell down to the ground and found out who this is. And I love this, man. Once you're saved, this should be your first question. Lord, what do you want me to do? What you got for me? What should I do? I'm here, and I was going in this direction, and obviously this is not a good direction. So what do you want me to do? I love that idea that this guy is almost instantaneously surrendered. And that's called being born again. That's called going from, you know, darkness to light and from death to life, right? And he's ready now. And so Jesus says to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out. I'm going to make you a great, great apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to be blown away by what I'm going to do in your life. You're going to go plant churches. You know, that's not what he says, is it? What does he say? Pretty simple. Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You see, if you, wanna, if you really want to serve the Lord, you've got to take those first steps. Here's the baby step. Get up and go into the city. Well, I can do that, right? I can manage that. Well, not really because I'm blind, not Paul. But he says, get up and go into the city. And then, listen, you're obedient to that then you're going to be given more revelation. You're obedient to that, you're going to be given more revelation. You're obedient to that, you're going to be given more revelation. Why would God give us the whole big picture if we're not even going to get up and go into the city, right? So I want you to get up 
I want you to go into the city. I love that whole idea because, listen, that's not real complicated. And I found in my life, listen, as the Lord calls us and leads us, here's what I found. Man, he doesn't ask us to like, do something spectacular. He just says, just take that first step. And then as you're walking with him and taking steps, hey, he may put something in front of you that to some people seems humongous, but you've been walking along with him, and you look at that and you go, I can't do that. Why? Because Jesus is in me, right? So get up, go into the city. I love that. Then we're going to show you what to do. Verse 7, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now listen, for those of you who went ahead to Acts 22 and Acts 26, and you read it while I was teaching, some of you, listen, some of you right now are going, wait a minute. Man, in Acts 26, it says they didn't hear the voice. How come here it says they heard the voice? Well, they heard it, but they didn't understand it. So they heard it, but they didn't hear it. Got it? So listen, that's what's going on. Then Saul, verse 8, arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. You see, God took his sight away for a while. Because he was so spiritually blinded, he needed to be physically blinded to realize how spiritually blinded he really was. He saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. Here's this great persecutor of the church. I'm going to come in and I'm going to wipe you out being led in like a little child. Hmm. That's Jesus changing people, right? And you see these guys, come on, come on, take a step, just, you know, kind of helping them out, getting them in. And then... Three days, verse 9, and it was three days, with, he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I think he was doing this because he's seeking the Lord, because do you understand everything he has to process? This is huge. And we kind of look at his conversion and go, yeah, well, let's move on. He was on his way to arrest, and I believe, murder some Christians and now he's being called to a relationship with this one. Oh, by the way he was convinced he was dead that's what they kept telling him you Christians you're out of your mind Jesus is dead. Uh, dead people don't talk I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting how's he going to pro- how, how do you how do you work through that how do you deal with that well, you've got you to get alone, right? You've got to think through some things. You've got to think, and plus, remember all of the years of studying the Old Testament. Now, I believe those prophecies and, and the statements about Christ that are hidden in the Old Testament, I think they're flooding through his mind. Because he's a scholar. Listen, he's not just, he's not just a guy you know, who just... He's a scholar. He understands. He knows. He's, he's probably memorized most of the Old Testament. All of that's flooding through his head. He's taking his time. So as he's dealing with his issues, now the camera pans, right? And we've got we to check out the other person involved in finishing out, if you will, the conversion of Saul. So listen, I love this. I love this. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Notice it wasn't two Ananiases, right? It wasn't Ananias, Ananias. Why, he's ready, right? Here's this disciple of the Lord. I believe he's seeking the Lord. Oh, by the way, notice he's just a disciple. Do you know what that means, don't you? He's one of us, right? It's not an apostle. You know, a lot of people say he was a church leader. It doesn't say he was a church leader. 
So he's part of the church. And here he is, he's seeking the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, Ananias. And what does Ananias say? Here I am. Here's what I'm thinking, man. He's got to be excited. I don't believe the Lord spoke to people every day. So imagine, imagine if you're having your quiet time and the Lord says your name out loud. Wow. I'm thinking Ananias is going, something great is about to happen. Woo, here I am. Now he's going to regret that in a moment. <laughs> but right now he's like ready to serve, right? Yes. Here I am, Lord. Here, I'm ready. And so the Lord says, good, right? Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. You know what's interesting? There's still, well, if it's still there because of all the bombing and everything. But in Damascus, there is still, or was, in our generation, a street called Straight. It was a street that went east-west through the city. And, it, you know, it's been there for millenniums. I, I think that's fascinating. That kind of proves our Bible's true, Right? He says, listen, I want you to go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now listen, the Lord just, I mean, the Lord gave him details, right? Which tells me his heart was kind of in that place. He's ready to serve. And God gives him details. I want you to go. I want you to go to the street called Straight. I want you to find Judas's house. I want you to find a guy named Saul of Tarsus. I want you to put your hands on him and pray for him for healing. Why? Because I've been talking to him. Now that, that sounds like, okay, I could do that, right? Unless it was Saul of Tarsus. What if as you're having your quiet time today, the Lord speaks to your name, and you go, here I am, I'm ready to serve, and he tells you, I want you to go to Damascus, and I want you to go to a street called Straight, and I want you to go to this guy's house, and when you get there, this guy that's been beheading people on YouTube and stuff, you know the British guy I'm talking about? I want you to go lay your hands on him and I want you to pray for him. <laughs> You're going to say, okay? Sure, Lord. I mean, hey, that's the equivalent. We've got to understand, that's the equivalent of what he's telling Ananias to do in Ananias' day. You've got to get that in your heart. Listen, this was huge. This wasn't just like, this isn't pretend, this isn't play. This is a guy that has been tearing apart the church of Jesus Christ as much as he possibly can do on his own. And now all of a sudden you're told, and all you were doing that morning was having your quiet time. I was just seeking you, Lord. I know I said I would do anything, but I meant anything within reason. Because isn't that how a lot of us feel? I'll do anything for you if it's within reason, if it makes sense, if it's logical. If I can, if I can get my mind around it, I'm going to do it. Well, Ananias is not a lot different than us. Check out verse 13. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias is saying, I don't think I want to go. I've heard about this guy. 
what he's done to the church, the saints in Jerusalem. I know that he's here on a mission, and I know that if I go in that room, I'm more than likely going to be arrested. I'm going to be dragged back to Jerusalem. It's not going to be a good thing. So God, I don't think I want to go. You just fix them without me. And the Lord says, oh, come on, Ananias. I got this. You can trust me, can you? Hmm. You see, I believe a lot of us, we trust the Lord until what the Lord shows us is not within what we consider a reasonable request. And then we go, no, I don't think so. That would be a difficult decision. The Lord tells him, listen, I, I love that he's having a conversation with God, don't you? It's kind of like, I don't know, again, the Lord's never like audibly spoke to me. I think if he did, I think I would just blow up. I think, man, if I, if I just audibly heard his voice, I think I'd, it'd be the end. It'd be kind of cool, but it would be the end. He's having a conversation, right? Ananias, here I am, Lord. Okay, I want you to go. I want you to go to the street called straight. I want you to go to Judas' house. I want you to find Saul of Tarsus. I want you to put your hands on him and pray for him because he's been praying and I've told him that you're coming, right? A guy named Ananias is going to come and pray. Okay, well, that, that's, that's cool, Lord, but I really don't want to go, okay? And then the Lord is going to talk to him some more. I love this. Listen, that's kind of telling me it's okay. Listen carefully. It's okay to tell God, I'm not sure I really want to do that. That's all right. It's not cool to tell him, no, Lord, Right? You can't say, no, Lord, because it makes no sense, because he's not Lord. But I like this idea. I don't really think I want to do that, because I've heard stuff, you know. I, I, you should check out his Facebook page. Look at what he's posting, what he's doing, man. Come on, Lord, I don't want to go. But the Lord said to him, go. I love this, man. Listen, the Lord said, go, dude, just go, okay? Go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Here's what he says, Ananias, just go. Here's what I interpret it this way. Just go. I got this. You're, you're the one that I am choosing to be the instrument to show him what vessel he's going to be for me. Do you see, because we're all just instruments or vessels or whatever chosen by God to do the work of God in our generation. So he says, listen, just go. And I'm thinking, again, that would be rather frightening. Now, here's what I kind of love. Check out, check out the difference of this guy named Saul compared to what he's going to be is this guy named Paul. One, one author put it this way. Instead of a persecutor, he is Jesus' chosen instrument. I like that, huh? Man, one day you're a persecutor, the next day you're chosen by God to serve the very one you were persecuting instead of a concern for Israel alone. Remember I said, he's a Pharisee, he's defending the law of God, he's going that direction. Now here's what God says, I don't want you to be this, I want you to carry the name of Jesus to who? To the kings, to the Gentiles, and to the children of Israel. Instead of being this guy who has all the buttons and all the glory and you're doing great things, I'm going to show you how you're going to humbly suffer for my namesake. What a change. What a radical change in this guy. So then, check it out, verse 17, and Ananias went. Don't you love it? So listen, it's okay, God, I'm not sure I want to go. Well, okay, I understand. I understand you're a little scared. 
scaredy cat. But here's what I'm going to do, man. I'm going to do some great stuff through this guy. And, you know, as I shared last week, here's what I'm thinking. Ananias, you don't go. Somebody's going to go. See, you can choose to go or not, you know, but I really, I really, I really kind of picked you. Now, have you ever wondered why God didn't pick an apostle? to go take care of Saul. He could have done all this in Jerusalem, right? Save that 140 mile, uh, mile an hour, 140 mile trip. He could have done it all in Jerusalem. He could have like knocked him out and knocked him silly and talked to him in Jerusalem and, and sent Peter to go speak to him. I wonder why God, part, part of me, I, I, I believe why God did this is because the important part of the ministry of Paul was that he didn't get his gospel and he wasn't following a man he was following Jesus. Had an apostle come, maybe that would be, well, we know that he was you know, ministered to by an apostle. Who is he ministered to by? Any one of us. Just Ananias. That's all. Ananias. Guy in a church. So Ananias went. Now, I don't know about you guys. How would you feel as you knocked on that door? I would be thinking, I hope nobody's home, man. I'm being obedient God, but man, I would knock real light. I'd knock like this. I tried, Lord. Right? Did you ever do that? I tried, Lord. It just didn't work. I'm sorry, man. I gave it my all. Yeah. I, I would be terrified going into that house. You don't know what you're walking into. He went and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Here's what I love in the very beginning. What does he call him? Brother, brother Saul. Not persecutor Saul. Not Mr. Pharisee Saul. Brother. Man, do you know that had you know what that had to do to the heart of Saul? Brother? I'm your brother? Yeah, you're my brother. Man, and I came, and you know, I came to be obedient. I, I lay my hands on you, and he says, "Listen." He says, "Jesus, Jesus told me to come and do this, and you know what? He wants you to receive your sight, and he wants you to be filled with the spirit." I, again, I think he was converted. Now, now there's that infilling again, huh? I want you to be. I want you to receive your sight. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And man, that just—can you imagine just the emotion in that moment between these two men? And just the change of attitude and the change of heart toward one another. How Ananias would be able to see he really is changed. And how Saul would be able to see, man, this is what Christianity, Christianity is a family. We're not individuals, we're a family. And then, and then I love this, immediately, verse 18, immediately they fell from his eyes something like scales. So listen, that's, that's the Dr. Luke letting us know, right? He like had major cataracts or something. I don't know. But listen, they, they, they just fell off his eyes. And then, and then it says, listen, and he received his sight at once and he arose and he was baptized. Here's what's like incredible, man. He gets up and he can see again. He goes, I want to get baptized. Dude, really? Like you're a believer for like three days or maybe even 20 minutes. You want to get baptized? Yeah, right now I want to get baptized. Why was it so important for him to get baptized? I believe this. All the soldiers, all those guys who came with him. 
You see, it's one thing to tell people you're a believer. It's another thing to demonstrate to them, I'm going to follow the way. I'm going the way. And the way says that I need to believe and be baptized. So listen, immediately, immediately he gets his sight back. He's baptized. And then here's the part that really blesses me. Check out verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Hey, he got saved, and listen carefully, he integrated into the church in Damascus. He didn't go say, well, you know what, I'm Saul, I don't need no stinking church. You know, I hear people say that, I don't need the church. Well, I, I think that's a false statement, but you know, you can believe that if you want, but how about this, maybe the church needs you. See, we're a family, we're together and I'll tell you what, man, you stick out there all on your own and you try and do it on your own. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have a difficult, difficult time. We're coming together to learn, to grow, to minister to our world, our generation. And I love the idea. Here's this guy. Can you imagine, can you imagine having somebody come into the body who has most of the Old Testament memorized? who is a scholar above all scholars in the Hebrew, you know, in, in, in the law. Man, that would be a cool guy to get into church, right? I would want to sit and listen to him a little bit. I would want to hear what he had to say, especially now that he's changed from just being this Jewish guy. Now, listen, now he's understanding all of those prophecies that are given. How many are there saying? Over, over 200 prophecies that are given about Jesus. And, and now he's beginning to explain those and expand on those. And then pretty soon, listen, he's going to write some books about it. You know those books that he wrote? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. He's going to start writing books about And listen, you have the opportunity to hang out with him and sit with him. Man, that had to be some sweet fellowship. And here's what I think Paul was doing. I think Paul wasn't, I don't think he was maybe taking the main stage. I think Paul was going, can you guys teach me? I'm new to this thing called Christianity. Can you help me out? Man, I've been, you know, I've been studying all my life, Isaiah 53. And, and I kind of looked at it this way. What, what's your take on Isaiah 53? What do you guys think about that? And you begin that interaction and you begin fellowship. Wow. What's this believer do, this guy? First thing, hangs out with the church. Gets involved in the church. Don't you love it? So I don't know about you guys, but for me, this is an exciting part of Scripture. Oh, it's going to get a little bit better. It's going to get a little bit more crazy and chaotic, but we're going to stop here. And as you think about this, listen, maybe you've quit praying for somebody. Because maybe you've gotten to the place like they will never get saved. You don't know that. I love the testimonies where somebody prayed for somebody their entire life and a person praying dies and then that person gets saved. Those are great. Don't give up, man. Don't quit. Hey, if there's anybody in all of the history I think of the world that's unsavable had to be this guy. And here God saved him. And it's a demonstration to you and I that nobody, nobody is beyond the redemption and beyond the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody. And we need to remember that in our generation, in our world. And you know what? Don't get discouraged. Keep going. Then secondly, secondly, when God calls your name, go. Just go. 
What if it's scary, Pat? Go. He's a big God. What if it doesn't make sense? Go. He's a big God. He'll make sense out of nonsense. Maybe. Just go. Trust him. Trust him. And here's what I found in my life. Sometimes, listen, some of us, some of us were kind of, some of us are way eager and we tend to do things and we could sort of think God tells us something, but he didn't really tell us something. And we kind of fall on our face and it's, it's a major failure. That's okay. You learn from those. And he picks you up, dusts you off, and says, what on earth are you doing here? Well, I thought this is where you wanted me to go, God. No, not at all. But come on. And he picks us up and he puts us in a direction. And you know what? Some of the things he asks us to do are scary. I remember when the Lord revealed to me, and it wasn't audibly, etc. But I remember when he revealed to me that he was calling me into a pastoral teaching ministry. Terrified me. Terrified me. I don't like to get up in front of people. You guys are going, really? No, I don't. And I remember and I said, Lord, I think you kind of made a mistake. I even asked him, to check out my grade in public speaking in high school. I want to look at that because that might give you a clue as to what you're doing wrong here. But listen, as we trust Him and as we take those steps, He'll show us another, He'll show us another, He'll show us another. And you will never regret that. Ananias, go lay your hands on Saul. I really think this is a mistake, Lord. Hey, it's not a mistake, trust me. Can you imagine Ananias... After Saul started doing what Paul did, whoo, I'm so glad I was obedient that day, huh? Yeah. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we look at